this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Well, welcome to our new series that we're doing starting today called Your Best Yes, Jesus Every Day. And what you guys saw right before that little sermon bumper was some video footage from my wife's phone as we were in Atlanta, Georgia for the Passion 2024 conference. And if you don't know what that is, it is a conference that's designed for 18 to 24-year-olds. And uh, it's been a conference that's gone on since 1997, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, As a 20-some-year-old, I wanted to go. I tried to go. I never went. And so I uh, was excited as now the pastor of the church to say, how can we invest into the next generation of young people? We want the gospel to not just be for old people. Um, We want the gospel to go on to the next generation. Some of you are like, are you old, Pastor Alex? I don't know, but I'm not old enough. I'm too old to go to this conference. And so I was able to reach out to some uh, people that we had connection with who were uh, in college and say, hey, would you be interested in going and having a potentially life-changing time at a conference? Now, is the conference going to change anybody's life? No. Who changes people's lives? Right, right. God, Jesus, like, yes, the creator of the universe who sent his son Jesus to save us. And, and the purpose of the conference and where the conference is maybe different than, than everyday life, because is Jesus different at the conference than he is at church? No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the thing about the conference, though, is that you're not at home. You're away from the normal. You have the ability to almost be on a retreat. I can fully focus myself upon who Jesus is and what he might have. And by that positioning of my heart, by that positioning of my life, I might be more open to who he is and what he might ask of me. And so we were able to get eight college students together, and we put them in a van that was older than every single one of them. Our church van is from the year 2000, and they were all born after that. So now if you are like, well, maybe I am old, now you know uh, you're too old. Um, And so we we got in the van, we prayed over the van that the van would make it from Kansas City to Atlanta, and and she did. She did so good. It was a good little van. Um, And so we, uh, we broke our trip up by staying in Vienna, Illinois. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. Yo, wow. One person. All right. I did not know where it was. It just happened to be in between Kansas City and Atlanta, and they had an Airbnb that would sleep all of the people that we needed that didn't cost an arm and a leg. So we were in some hunting lodge, which was awesome, and it had elk and deer antlers everywhere, and all of the college students were scared to go to sleep there. And I was like, what? I was like, we're playing hide-and-go-seek in the dark before we go to bed, which was awesome. Uh, And I am the best hider ever, year after year. Uh, So we had a lot of fun. Um, And then we got to Atlanta, and we were able to uh, go and attend this conference. And uh, here's the thing about the conference. Um, Yes, there were fantastic um, communicators and speakers and and some of the best um, worship uh, artists, if you want to call them that, leaders that are around. The stuff you hear on the radio, those people were there uh, live. And so we were able to engage in worship with a generation that is not necessarily always represented well in churches across America. And here was the wild thing. And, and one thing that I wanted to pass on maybe and communicate to you, and, and this is going to be maybe part of the heart of our message today, 
is that while we're there, we're in the Mercedes-Benz arena. So if you are familiar with the NFL, it's where the Atlanta Falcons play. Um, so it's their home stadium. Um, I looked up on Google while I was there because it was so awesome. I was like, how much did it cost to build this puppy? $1.6 billion. We are gathered for an event to lift up the name of Jesus in an infrastructure that is designed really to emphasize the accomplishments of man, the architecture of it, the technology in it. I mean, it was unbelievable. They had more LED screens than I've ever seen anywhere. It's an indoor arena, but at the top of it, it has like an ability to open and let like daylight in. And around it was this huge LED screen, 360. It was awesome. And I'm sitting there, and we're in these seats, and this, everything from the architecture to the engineering to the technology to even the purpose of the space is where like an NFL team will normally come, and we celebrate the accomplishments of man, their ability to throw a ball, catch a ball, to compete. Everything about it was about the accomplishments of man, but not this weekend. This weekend, we weren't there to celebrate the accomplishments of man, but rather to focus our attention onto who Jesus was. And it was something that most Christians throughout Christian history have never experienced. See, Christianity began 2,000 years ago with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This guy came back from the dead, and it messed the world up. They were like, what? Death doesn't have the final say anymore? What? There's life after this? What? I don't have to be afraid of death? Like, he holds the keys to death in Hades? Like, I can have eternal life? Like, Jesus changed things, and those who believed in him had a whole new attitude, a whole new disposition. They were able to say, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Always rejoice, I say again. Like, it changed everything. But from 2,000 years ago to now, um, there hasn't been opportunities necessarily always for large gatherings of Christians to get together. Like for numbers of years, the church was persecuted. If you believed in Jesus, you almost were having to do it in, in secret. You were in hiding. There was the underground church because the persecution was so great, but they said, we still have to gather together. No matter if there's persecution on the outside, I'm not just gonna do this by myself. They secretly connected with others in order to say, let's encourage one another. Let's keep living this out. Let's keep going against the culture of our day. Let's believe in Jesus. Let's have a confidence and a faith that this isn't the only life, that if I know Jesus, this is the only hell I'll experience on this earth because I have heaven to look forward to. And so the church for years gathered in secret. It was subversive. It was different. And, and, and then just because of technology, there was an opportunity to gather great groups, you know, until the car, until the airplane, you couldn't get mass groups of people together. And so we had local churches like we have here, which are in a local region that people could travel to, that they would gather to celebrate who Jesus is. But see, we ended up in Atlanta, and this is mind-boggling. There was 55,000 college students there. 55,000. Like, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And while we're there, we're there to worship Jesus. While we're there, we're to fix our attention on him. And so we have this, this worship leader, and we have a band, and we have LEDs, and we have all this stuff. And as they finished singing one song, on, on a morning session, it was the last morning session when nobody slept at all, and you're just, you know, delirious, and you don't know if you can make the 12-hour drive back to Kansas City. That was me. And so we're, we're, we're in this morning session, and as the song leader ends leading the song, and as the music fades out, 
55,000 voices continued to sing. And in my eyes, in my head, I'm thinking about, like, like the stuff that we read in the back of the Bible that we get like nervous about, like that stuff that's going to happen at the end of time, and, and this revelation that John has of, of things that are happening right now in eternity that we're not always familiar with, and how there's these, these beings who are in heaven who are declaring that God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. God, you're holy. Worthy, worthy are you. It talks about how there's these, these elders and, and they take their, their crowns, the only thing that they have to offer, and they're laying them at the feet of, of Jesus. And, and there's this picture that, that in eternity past, for as long as we can think in the past, and as far as we're going to think in the future, God is being glorified. Whether you participate or not doesn't change anything. He is. The reality is he is worthy. He is holy. And there is worship around the throne of God happening right now. And when we, who are Christ believers, who have embraced this, not only are we forgiven of our sins, but our future, I don't know if you know this, it's heaven. Which means that one day we are going to join the choirs of eternity around the throne of God as we see him more clearly than we ever have and we will declare holy 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 worthy are you God and so we're in Atlanta 55,000 people and the voices of all of these people without anyone leading and guiding worshiping holy holy we all in unison with one focus one object of our worship Holy, holy, holy. For a small moment of time, it was like, here's just maybe a, a little foretaste. Here's maybe just an appetizer. Here's, you know, like a mozzarella stick of what heaven's gonna be. Like, yeah, this tastes pretty good. Like, and I found myself with a hunger, desire, longing, a craving for what will be real forever. I think so often we get caught up in what we are consumed with in this earth, the things that, that take our attention, that take our energy, that take our emotions. But for a moment, I desired something greater. I desire something that will never, ever end. And in that moment, it wasn't about what God's gonna do for me. Oh God, come help my life, my life's messed up. No, it wasn't any of that. It was simply a declaration that God is God, <laughs> and I'm not. See, I think it's easy for us to, to come to church, and we want to know, like, all right, is God real, all right? Some of us, we've gotten over that, like, yeah, he's real. Like, I look at creation, I look at how our world's put together, there definitely has to be uh, an intelligent designer behind this. There's no way that just some goo popped together and, like, we came out. Like, I have a hard time with it, you know? I, even if you put billions of years of possibilities of that changing, like, we all know that if you go buy, like, a 1960 Cadillac and you put it in your backyard and you wait 40 years, it doesn't look better. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, the law of entropy, like it happens, like things tend to go the wrong direction, like it's just a law of life. But somehow or another, when we approach like biology and the origins of the world, we'll, we'll know like these two things came together and then they're better and more intelligent. Really? I don't think so. I think that 
in the beginning, God created. By the way, where'd that goo and stuff come from that hit together and made the Big Bang? Well, I don't know. If there's a Big Bang, God made it. Bang. (laughs) So as we think about God, we have to first get over the obstacle of, is there a God? And and I, I, I believe that eternity is in the heart of man. And we read that kind of in Ecclesiastes, that there's this longing inside of every one of us for something greater, something beyond this world, something that we, we want. That's why so many college students go and they're pursuing philosophy. They're, they're taking psychology classes. They're trying to figure out, why am I here on the earth? Why do I exist? And, and when we get to the place of saying, well, if there is a God, and that God created me, then that God is greater than me, more intelligent than me, and he doesn't do things without purpose. He would be a very wise God, that that God must have a purpose then for creating humanity, and as a member of humanity, he has a plan and a purpose for my life. And so as we begin to pursue this idea of God, we embrace the idea of God, and then we say, well, how can I know who he is? Most of us just tend to start with our made-up beliefs about God, that he's got to be bigger than me, he's got to be stronger than me. So we, we begin to create an image of God, which is oftentimes based upon the image of ourselves that we just make him bigger and greater than us. But, but what we have to find is that if we're going to truly and accurately worship God, we need to know who he really is. So that begs the question, how can we really know who God is? Well, for me... I believe that the best way to know who God is is to find out how God has introduced himself to the world. What has God told us about himself? Because that's going to be true. Anything I make up in my head is not going to be true about him. I can make up something and I could be off. I could have some view of him that's not accurate to who he really is. So to know God, I need to know how he has, here would be the word, revealed himself to me. And is it just a subjective thing? Is he going to reveal himself differently to you than to me? Or is there an objective way that he has tried to reveal himself to all of humanity? Well, I would say that his perfect revelation of himself, the God that we serve, has revealed himself perfectly through the person of Jesus. So as we look to Jesus, we know who God is. What Jesus said, because he came from heaven, he is God, what he tells us about heaven and things that we don't understand, that we can't comprehend, that I'm going to believe because he is God. Now, good news, there's this thing that was put together and compiled, and, and I know people struggle with this, but we have these sacred writings as a, as a group of believers in which we believe that God was involved in helping to document who he is and a revelation of himself. And we, we are so privileged to live in a time in which we can have the Bible. That we have this compilation of these ancient writings that we believe are accurate about God's revelation of himself through mankind that happened through 40 different authors over 1,500 years that can change how we view the world to where we're not viewing it with earthly eyes, but we're viewing it from eternity's perspective. We're viewing it with God's wisdom. So we have this moment in which, all right, I believe God is real. I know that he's real. How can I know him? Well, I can root myself and think accurately about who he is through the scriptures. Now, the problem is, is that we're not always very good about rooting our beliefs about God in the scriptures. So we have a lot of people who are pro-Jesus. Any pro-Jesus people? You know, you talk to people and they're like, yeah, I'm pro-Jesus. I'm for him. He's good. He's loving. He's kind. And while those things may be true, they're not necessarily rooted in this. That's not the origin of the belief that they had, that he's good, that he's God, that he's all those things. It's just that he, you know, He's a good, good, you know, positive aura. 
You know, we want, we want that type of spirituality in our life. We want that kind of thing. But when we start to say, well, you know, that Jesus taught this or Jesus taught this, sometimes these people who are pro-Jesus say, well, I don't, well, I don't want to believe Jesus is really that way. Like, really, Jesus wants me to reserve sex for just marriage? How, I'm pro-Jesus, and I think love should be however I want to express it. Well, that's not the God of the Bible who's revealed himself to us. So all of a sudden we have this conflict, right, between our imaginary view of him and what he said about us. And while we believe that he's real, we don't really believe in the real God who has defined who he will be and what he expects of us. And so I find myself in this place where I grew up in church. I, I grew up with a knowledge of who God is. I had this understanding. I was taught the Bible from a young age in which I know truths about God which is really a good thing. If you're going to have kids, can I encourage you, raise them in church. It's better for them. Now, this is going to come with some baggage. I ain't going to lie. Pastor's kid here. <laughs> it's got some negatives. But the positives far outweigh the negatives. I would say this. I have avoided a lot of scars in my life because I was raised in church. Uh, I, I didn't get hurt and wounded in the ways that people who didn't know God have. And while God can redeem everybody, no matter your story, I think that I had probably more fun and I have less scars to show for it, which is a good thing. Set your kids up better than you. Anyway, side point. Um, so we got God, we believe in him, we know him, but, but what do we believe about him? It has to be rooted in scripture. And so I found that there tends to be two groups of people, and this is being stereotypical, right? Everybody good with this? There's lots of varying degrees on this scale that I'm gonna share. So don't get too judgy on me. One camp of people who believe in God are people who really want to experience God. They look for this experiential moment with the God of the universe. Now, some of you, maybe in your own history, in your own life, can say, you know what? I have had an experience with God. So maybe you could do this. Maybe just think, like, when was a time that you felt like you were really close to God? What was the experience that was surrounding that? And it's maybe something that marked you. It was maybe a significant moment in your life. Maybe... Um, Maybe there was a miracle that happened. Maybe it was just a moment in worship. Maybe there was an altar call. Maybe it was your salvation experience. Maybe there was an emotional response that was attached to it in which you felt broken, in which you were, were crying. Maybe there was something there that you're like, I cannot deny that there was something supernatural that happened in my life. We had this experience with God. And, I, and can I tell you, those are awesome. I really love these experiences that are available to us with God. There's a camp of Christians, though, that that is all they want. I just want the next experience with God. So they, in their mind, they say, you know what? I remember what God did last time. I remember the tears. I remember the feeling. I remember the worship song that was on. I remember the room and the environment. And then they have this, like, secret desire to reproduce that experience again in their life. And they get frustrated because they can't seem to reproduce it, because they forget that God is doing a new thing, and they want him to do an old thing. And what he did, he did in a moment, but he didn't say that this is how I'm going to move all the time. And so what they can start to do is they can start to try to manufacture these moments. I'm going to try to get my emotions back to where they were. 
I'm going to try to get that place there. Let's just keep singing that song over and over. Let's, let's, let's do something. Like, I got to go back to that conference. I got to go back to this moment. And they're looking for this next experience with God, which is not a bad thing to desire, God. But do we desire God or do we, experience, do we desire the experience of God? There's a difference, right? Do I want him or do I want what he has to give? Am I seeking the face of God or am I seeking the hand of God? Am I seeking what he has to give me or am I seeking him himself? So we have this camp of people here that love the experience with God. Man, if we could just fall down in tears and snot and speaking in tongues, man, it's going to be awesome. Okay, we got them. Problem with this camp, okay? Again, we're being stereotypical. Problem with this camp is that they tend to not root themselves a lot in Scripture. So the God who's revealed himself through Scripture, that's cute, but I want him to meet me here now. Yeah, but like he has told you what you need to do. I don't care what he's told everybody. I want him to speak to me. All right, so, so they tend to have experiences with God. And, and the problem I would say with this group is that when the storms of life come and they experience something different, they have no anchor for their soul. They are the ones who life gets hard and they raise a fist and they're mad at God. How could you? How could you? I thought you were good. They're the ones that are angry and mad at God because their life experiences are trumping their spiritual experiences and they can't reconcile the two. All right, camp A. Camp B. This camp of people, there's less light over here. I like this better. Camp B, um, you know, so experience, experience, experience. This side over here you know, they never, maybe never had that big emotional experience with God. They didn't have the experience that, you know, those people had. Like, they see those people, they hear those people, and they're like, wow, that's cool. You know, maybe I would experience that sometime. I don't know, but I never have. And sometimes this camp can begin to wonder, am I really a Christian? Because those people seem way more passionate about God than I am until the storms of life happen, and then they're like, I don't know what happened to those people. But over here, this group of people, you know what they have? They're pretty good about knowing truth. They can tell you doctrine. They can tell you theology. They can tell you who the characters of the Bible are. They can tell you what salvation means. They know the right answer. Anybody growing up in church, you know all the right answers? Yeah. But just because you know the right answers doesn't necessarily mean that you know God. And so we have this camp of people that have a head knowledge of who God is, but they lack a life experience with who he is. They sometimes can get so focused on what God's asked them to do that their focus remains solely upon doing the right thing. It's not legalistic because they're not trying to earn God's attention, but out of all the things that I'm going to focus on, I'm going to focus on what I'm supposed to do, and then God is supposed to take care of the rest. So I just do, 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 do what I'm supposed to do. The problem with this gang of people here is that they are lacking the personal connection to God that this gang had. This gang's lacking the anchor of truth that's going to hold them through the storms of life. What we desire, and what I'm trying to desire, is to build and develop Christians who have both the experience of God, but they have interpreted it and anchor it in the truth of God. And there's not a whole lot of people who are attracted to this, because we all like extremes. So if you want the experiential thing, this ain't the church because, man, we ain't doing all that wild stuff that sometimes people want. But then you hear me teach the Bible and you're like, 
well, you're not teaching it, you know, expository like some people do. Why are you in this middle ground? Because I believe that God is not only objectively true, but he does subjectively want to meet with you. If I'm going to lean, I'm going to lean towards the objective because that can get weird sometimes and there's a lot of weird abuses over there, but I want to help develop you to where you can really love God wholly with who you are. So you say, well, pastor, what's your, what's your agenda for my life? <laughs> I want you to know God as he's revealed himself, but I want you to know that it's not just in a textbook. He will personally meet with you. And I have found that the knowledge of God keeps me anchored in the storms of life, but it's the experience of God that gives me a passion and fuel to go. So if you're lacking passion and fuel, it's time for you to experience God. You say, well, how do I do that? You have to hunger him. You have to desire him. You have to crave him. So, I should probably teach the Bible before we're done today. (laughs) If you have a Bible... Let's go to 1 Samuel. Wow, look at the time. You're going to get the fastest Bible story you've ever had. Because there's children's ministry, and those people don't want to watch your kids all day. 1 Samuel, chapter 3. We're going Old Testament today. Watch out. Hang on. Tap your neighbor, say it's going to be okay. Jesus isn't on the scene yet, but he's still speaking. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 3. We find that there's this guy by the name of Samuel. He, uh, crazy story, his mom couldn't have kids. She ends up having him, but part of the condition that she had made, she made a promise to God that she was going to dedicate her son to the Lord. So long story short, when he's just a child, she actually gives her child over to the, uh, to the temple to be raised there. And so the guy in charge of the temple, his name's Eli, he's the priest there. And so we have Samuel, who's this young boy, who's now being raised by uh, the man of God. Now, the man of God, just forewarning, we're not going to cover this in the story, he was not a good father. He had two sons of his own, and they were bad, bad news. Eli was a big guy. He's an overweight guy. Um, didn't necessarily take care of himself that way. And so we have Samuel. I mean, pretty big deal. Like, can you imagine handing your child off to somebody who's not a good father, who's not very disciplined in their life? But hey, it's the man of God. Anyway, that's where we find our story. Now you know. So the Bible's really interesting. You ought to read it sometime. First um, Samuel chapter three, we find that the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Um, people weren't experiencing this side of the story. They weren't having these experiences of God. They weren't having visions. They weren't having these movements of God. The, the word of the Lord coming, it seemed to be rare. One night... Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. Now, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, which would have been like the presence of God in that time in a very physical manner. Verse 4 says that then the Lord called Samuel. Wow. Can you imagine if the Lord called you? The Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. It's a good response. And what he did is this. He ran to Eli and he said, hey, here I am. You called me. Who called him? The the Lord called him, but, but he didn't know the voice of the Lord. So he went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lay down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. 
And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and this is where Samuel is better than me, because I would not have got up and gone to Eli. I would have laid there and ignored it. <laughs> Guy keeps calling me, I'm not getting up and going in there again. I know I would have done that because when my kids cry, I wait for my wife to wake up and go in the other room. So I know <laughs> I probably would not have got up and gone a third time. So the Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and he went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Like, he didn't have attitude. Like, this is a good boy. This is a good boy. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. Samuel never realized that it was the Lord until someone else in his life pointed out that it was the Lord. Someone else helped him to properly interpret what God was doing in their life. It's really key because we need people to help us to properly interpret who God is and how he's moving in our life. So here's what Eli told Samuel. He says, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Seven words. Seven words we should, we should remember. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What a prayer for you to pray as you enter into a new year. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So, Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. As we enter into a new year, I want each and every one of you to experience God and who he really is. I want your attitude to be, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Not coming with a preconceived agenda, not coming with your own ideas, but speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I think that God's primary mode of communication and self-revelation to us today will be through this. I think that we need to love God's word, but we need to recognize that it's always just pointing to Jesus. So don't just read this, but read this to know Jesus. Speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. And as we pursue him, you need to be open to experience him because I don't know if you know this or not, but God's speaking in your life. And if I can be the voice of Eli, you need to pay attention. What you're sensing, that's God. And you need to adjust your view, position your heart, and say, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. As we move into this new year, I wanna just challenge you. God doesn't just want to give you information and knowledge about him from the Bible. It's gonna be good, it's gonna be anchored for your soul. But I think in this church, in my experience with you, is that most of you are over here on this side of the camp, and I don't know the last time that you really experienced him. So the passion, the desire, all that, I, th I think that you're, you're lacking that. We're good here. But we need both. So as we go through the year, I will always emphasize 
this. I'm trying to anchor you in the reality of who he is. Sunday mornings are going to be emphasizing this. I'm not going to emphasize trying to coordinate or course or create an experience with God, but I want you to know that God wants you to experience him. And as you position your heart and simply say, here I am, Lord, you will receive all that you need from him. But I'm going to try to help anchor you in the truth of who he is. Because if it's not true, it's not real. And you need to know what the truth is so you can serve the real God. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, I thank you for loving us. God, I thank you that you're so good to us. I thank that you draw us to you. And God, I thank you that in this service, as we start a new year and as we begin to move forward, Lord, may we not just have a, a proper orthodoxy where we believe correct, but also may we have a proper orthoproxy where we are actually living out what it is that you've called us to believe. May we not have a divorce between knowing the right thing and doing the right thing, but may we, Lord, just be more focused on becoming the right kind of person. And Lord, as we become what you've called us to become, Lord, we'll experience you in your wholeness. And God, as we are in this moment, Lord, and I know that there's some people here in this room who, who I don't know their story, but God, it would be wrong of me to move beyond this service without giving them an opportunity to put their faith and trust in you. Lord, there's some here who maybe have never done that. They've never stepped over the line of faith. They've never said, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me for my sins. I want to experience you. There's some who don't have the assurance that their future is heaven. But Lord, today, they can meet you. Today, they can be adopted into your family. Today, even though they don't have all the answers, they can say, I'm convinced that God is real and I desire his plan for my life. And so as we pray in this moment, if you are here and you say, you know what, that's me. I haven't necessarily ever had like a public profession of faith. I don't know if I've ever prayed and said that I'm all in, that I'm a Christian. But you say, you know what, as I start this new year, I want that. I want to experience the Lord. I want to know the truth about him. I want to experience the new life that he's promised. If that's you, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, just as a sign to God, would you say, yeah, that's me. That's me. And just raise your hand I just want to pray for you. Say, I want that. God, I want your best for my life. I see those hands. There's so many. Yes, God, I want you. I desire you. Listen, if this is your first time to step over the line of faith, I just want your prayer to simply be this. And this is between you and God. This is a moment that you have with him because he's listening. He's intent on you. He's been calling your name. He's brought you to this place. It's no mistake that you're in church today. And your response to all that he's done for you, the goodness of God that's been all throughout your life, is just simply to say, God, I give you my life. I give you my future. God, I do things your way. Help me to follow you and pursue you. Would you just pray that? Maybe it's just under your own breath. Just, God, I give you my life. And God, for those that raise their hand that have made that step, who have said, yes, I'm in, but maybe for whatever reason have wandered. God, as you hear their heart, as you've seen their hands, God, may this be a new year. May this be their best year spiritually. May they know you, not just objectively, but may they know you subjectively. May their worship not just flow because there's truths and attributes that are always true about you, but may their worship flow because those attributes have been applied to their life. Lord, may we have a deeper, richer faith as we move forward in this new year. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. 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 
Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.